Hey everybody, Matt here. A quick note about this episode. What you're about to listen to is a conversation that was recorded in February, on February 26th, which right now feels like a completely different lifetime. And listening back to it now sounds like listening to two different people. Um, we are all on lockdown living completely different lives than we ever imagined that we would. Michael and I will be recording a new episode this week, and we'll probably talk more about that. But um, I almost didn't release this episode because when I listened to it, it felt irrelevant and untimely, given how much things have changed so dramatically in the last weeks. Uh, if you've been following along since the beginning of the year, you know that we've had a goal to, set, to put out a episode every Monday. Um, Monday came and went because I struggled with what to do with this one. Ultimately, I decided let's put it out for two reasons. One, when in doubt, stick to the plan. And two, maybe we could all use a little non-corona themed content <laughs> right now. So hope you enjoy it. <clears throat> um, put on some headphones, go out for a walk, Give it a listen. Take a break from thinking about everything that's going on right now. Love you all. It comes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you, Whatever you grab, grab just turns to dust. dust. Like eye contact with a stranger around a crowd. It's a dream that you get to the real. The passing note of a song. The glimmer of the ship being All the things from the day. There's no more work. <laughs> no more troubles. We're moving toward the shores. <laughs> ding, ding. That was awesome. Man. I'm going to nap now. <laughs> I, think, I think we brought the energy too low, though. I know, exactly. I was already feeling pretty low in energy. Yeah. Um, well, here we are. Welcome back. Yeah, welcome back. We've had a lot of fun, uh, fun episodes up to this point. And yeah, I don't know. It's kind of cool. I feel like we're actually on top of things, and I know, which is awesome. The consistency has felt really good. Mm-hmm. We uh, put a new logo out there this week. Yeah, felt really good about that. Mm-hmm. Feel a lot more profesh. Yeah, I feel like we look like an actual podcast. <laughs> I think uh, video is the only thing we work on. Mm-hmm. I think. That's getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's let's do this thing. That sounds good. Okay. I like that. I'm Matt. I'm Michael. Welcome to the Shores of Ignorance. We're here. We're here and getting there at the same time. <laughs> now I'm excited, um, especially maybe even you know as far as some of the themes that we've been moving through and with uh, narrative and agency and. Um, you know, I think a lot of it boils down to, we were talking earlier about experience, you know, how you experience life. And, um, I was just talking about, um, as far as, uh, sometimes not, not being, not being present and kind of being more future oriented or Mm -hmm. past oriented. And, Mm -hmm. and I just had a few experiences this week that was like, that kind of really, 
brought me to the present, which was really kind of nice. And I had some questions in that area too, that I didn't feel like I, um, but that I felt like I kind of need to explore because it's in the area of presence. Yeah. in the areas of presence, because there is a time, you know, to look to the future and there's a time to, um, a Beatles song now, <laughs> <laughs> turn, turn, turn. <laughs> That was beautiful. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to make it on your next album. Oh, man. We got some work to do. Yeah. So Matt's going to do some jingles for our uh, coffees. <laughs> Actually, it sounded pretty awesome. I'm down Even for just that. the improv. Yeah. Mm-hmm, there yeah. really was. Maybe you want to drink the coffee more. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'd like to get into some of your questions around experience and presence. I, I, yeah. I like those themes. They, th- they seem a little bit more approachable than... Um, you know, I kind of, we did, I guess, four episodes on determinism and free will. And as I listened back to those over the last couple of weeks felt like somehow we never really got to some of the really interesting meat that I would like to get to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe this is just another, uh, another aspect of that. So presence and experience, what, what are you thinking? Yeah. So. Oh, were you going to cut to our music? Or? <laughs> oh, I thought we already did that. We already did that. We already did it. <laughs> oh, man. Well, it's it's kind of interesting as far as how we... Like, I really enjoy those conversations as far as kind of breaking things apart. But it's almost like the, the problem of the one and the many. You, you get so much... Our Eastern and Western thought. So, you know... Uh, Eastern thought is generally speaking kind of more focused on the one and Western thought is more focused on the many. Uh, you see that sort of in the, the philosophical differences between the two. Um, and these are generalizations that there's a lot of overlap, but, um, it seems like sometimes when we get stuck in or not stuck, but into the parsing out the, you know, do I have agency? How much agency? Mm-hmm. What is this? That's that I feel like there's this deterministic aspect, but then, you also have this experience of being you yeah. and this sort of oneness of you with other people and relationships and conflict as well as happiness, as well as sadness as well. You know, it's, there's this like how all these things are kind of tied into mm-hmm. one thing and to, to parse them up, it almost, uh, it's like the sum of the sum of the many, it isn't the, uh, doesn't equal the one thing Mm. there's a better way to say that um but you know at the same time you kind of it's helpful to also break things apart a little bit and look at them in their individual qualities Mm -hmm. but it's not the thing itself and i feel like sometimes you we get too stuck on breaking things apart and not really experiencing the present moment you can be reductionist about something but you can't rebuild it from what you reduce it to and mm-hmm. still have the same thing that you started with. Yeah. Apply that to time. I mean, you were talking about presence and being in the moment and, but there's also this sense of the past and the future, mm. which I think is unique to human consciousness. Yeah. It, that <clears throat> we have to try pretty hard and be pretty aware of, being in the moment. Otherwise 
we are steeped with the past and we are fixated on the future. Mm-hmm. And maybe you could, you know, spend time being fixated on the past and on some other time fixated on the future. But generally our presence, our, our, our day-to-day experience or moment-to-moment experience rather is um, some seemingly stressful combination of all of those mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Which is, it's hard because like even like, you know, those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. You know, the, the bad things of our history mm-hmm. um, or even the good things. It's like to be able to see, uh, to project into the future. Well, so there's three components, I think, four really, but and this might be too simplified, but uh, it's that TSL at four quartets is really, yeah. you know, it's like the idea of, you know, you have the past, like what might have been. Or no, you have the past, the the possible past that you can kind of reminisce on as far as what might have been and what has been. So there's those two aspects, and but even your understanding of those two of what might have been or what was can be something that you're still discovering as far as like, oh, in my childhood, this is how I experienced it, but something else pops up and you're like, oh, but there's a little bit more complexity to how I experienced it. So. So there's that aspect, but then there's also the, or even the you understand it differently because mm-hmm. you have, you've gained maturity, you've gained yeah. perspective, perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so it, it, can, can, can you recite those first couple lines of the oh, yeah. TSLA quartet? Or just, it, it repeats this in a few spots. It says, uh, what might've, what might've been, what, what has been points to one end, which is the present. Yeah, there's that what might have been and what has been can can feel like a great loss. Mm-hmm. And I think you could also feel that towards the future too. Yeah. It's like what you want to be mm-hmm. and what could be. Yeah. There's like a, a similar gap there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not there yet on the, the Elliot. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, no. so what what are, what are your thoughts around presence in that? Like what does it mean what does it mean to be present on that landscape i think it's really it's it's something that's really hard for me to to really grasp um i've just had some little moments here and there where it kind of just you just kind of felt the idea of the present you know it's um you know there's there's this part in tsl the second part is just uh at the still point of the turning world neither flesh nor fleshless neither from nor towards at the still point there the dance is and it's this point, it's sort of the idea of like, uh, as the earth spins, there's this point in the middle of the earth that's not moving. Like everything is moving around it. And obviously, you know, you, you get into like the, uh, you know, atoms and stuff like that. And you're like, well, what is that exactly? But it's, it's just more of a, I think it's more of a, of a conception or a, um, abstraction, as far as like what that space is where everything else is turning around and you can just kind of be in this still place. Um, and I think you experience it whenever, I mean, you're on vacation and you just kind of all of a sudden just go, Whoa. Hmm. And everything just stops almost. And you know, what, what comes to your mind or what can be lots of different things as far as you can almost, uh, just see everything almost outside of yourself, I think, but you're not outside of yourself. You're also very present too. Um, so it's, I don't know if it's kind of an existential kind of space. It seems like, 
Um, but it's, I mean, is, is that space, could it be described as, you know, whatever the gap is between what has been and what might have been mm-hmm. and the gap between what you want in the future and what could be in the future. Yeah. That you don't feel the strain of those two things. Mm-hmm. You, you sort of release yourself from that and say, I'm going to exist. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I would almost say it's, it's that, it's that the idea of presence or awe. Like you just are, you, there's, there's nothing you can do and there's nothing you can say. It's just, you just have to just behold it. Hmm. Um, but I think there's a lot of things that can happen in that space. Cause I, I don't want to, I don't want to kind of pigeonhole it into something. Cause I think there's, there's also revelation as far as you can look back on your past or your past kind of comes to you in the present, you know? Um, but you're, I, I don't know. This that's it's an area I'm re- I'm really interested to see, but it's it's hard because you know you kind of hear like I think some of the more Buddhist teachings, which I think a lot of the idea of presence has been helpful, you know, through that sort of uh, tradition uh, and meditation and stuff. But mm-hmm. um, it's not it's not it's not it's not like really you're not really losing yourself. It's almost like you're becoming you're almost more of who you are. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's, that's my, my, my small time experience when I can think of those different experiences. It's, it's not that I lose myself, but I'm also not myself at the same time. Do you feel like you should be or want to be more present more often? I don't know. I mean, I mean, the answer to that is yes, but I think there's, I, I want to kind of kick against that because I think that sounds really nice, you know? Yeah. But, and it might just be, I, I don't, I'm not mature enough to really understand what I'm saying in this area. But there's this idea of like, you do need to look to the past and also look to the future and plan and project into the future. Mm-hmm. Well, you have a responsibility to, mm-hmm. I mean, especially as a parent, as a business owner, and mm-hmm. really as a citizen. Yeah, you have a responsibility to plan for the future. Yeah, that's true. Do you have the experience of presence or being present? Or <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess I'll attack that. The first two things that came to my head. One. Um, the first thing that came to my head is that I, I do practice presence. Okay. Um, uh, I do yoga pretty often. I think I've talked about that on the podcast maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do try most of the time when I do that, <clears throat> um, like I'll walk, I'll go walk my dog and then I'll come home and I'll do yoga. And sometimes I'll listen to podcasts and other times I'll try to just think about something that, I don't know, seems to need thought and mm-hmm. I'll try to make it as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be something that I want to do or accomplish or something that I feel like I'm lacking or something that I feel like needs more attention in my life. And I'll just sort of try to focus in on that and mm-hmm. be just there with that thought, mm-hmm. not think about, 
you know, the, the stress of the morning getting the kids to, to school or the stress of yesterday and what happened at work or the things that I didn't do that I am beating myself up about mm-hmm. um, and not think about the future struggles and what might meet me during the day, but just try to be there. I do, I do that consciously. And I, I definitely think that's a positive thing. Yeah. Um, the other thing that popped into my head was my ex-wife used to tell me that I wasn't present all Mm -hmm. the time. Yeah. And I, I I never fully understood that, but I, I think I do have a tendency to get lost in my head, Mm -hmm. especially when I'm engaged in something. Yeah. Um, and at that time I was running a couple of different businesses of my own and I was sort of constantly working in my head. Um, maybe it makes sense on that, Mm -hmm. on that level. But I think I have also more recently tried to practice being present in things that are unknown to me or uncomfortable to me. Mm. So we were talking about the way that you and I experienced this party we went to last weekend. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, there's a lot of people that we both knew, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people there in general. Um, and you, you sort of had the, uh, uh, the experience of feeling... Well, I won't put words in your mouth. How did you, how did that make you feel? It made me feel happy. No, um, it's very conflicted. It's just so, it was such an interesting thing because there's so many people that I love and, and, and in deep relationship with, but having them all in one room at the same time and not being able to have focused attention to, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and to really, it was really, it was really hard. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, and it's hard because like, you know, and the way I'm saying this, it sounds like, you know, uh, like the party was amazing, had a great time. I love seeing everybody I got to see, but it was just sort of, you know, if you have deep relationships with different, lots of these different people and you can only somewhat surface it, you know? Yeah. It just, you feel like you just didn't do them a service of really being with them, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, I mean, you and I kind of got the breakaway for a few, <laughs> few right. minutes here and there. So that's cool. I love that breakaway. Uh-huh. Actually, I think it's one of the appealing things about smoking is yeah. you always have an excuse to do that. Uh-huh. Totally. Um, but I, I think I have over the last couple of years been focusing on, especially in social scenarios, um, trying to be present with people in a way that like leans into whatever discomfort I feel socially. Mm. So like I try to, at least when I'm like at, at my best or at least the way I want to be, it's like, I want to lean into who someone is and and try to engage them in a way that is uh, exploratory (coughs) and not sort of like reactionary to, Mm -hmm. I don't know, their politics or their beliefs yeah, maybe, or, or, or the, the circumstances of the meeting and what mm-hmm. they may want from me or what I want from them or mm-hmm. who we know in common or whatever. Just try to try to look people in the eyes and mm-hmm. talk to them about who they are and what they think. And, yeah. and that gets very uncomfortable very quickly. A lot of times mm-hmm. I think, especially with new people, yeah. because if you ask people what they think or you give them space to tell you what they think, they'll, they'll tell you what they think. Mm-hmm. Um, which is incredible. Yeah. Uh, but it also gets very quickly into a water of, oh, wow, 
like, do we really want to be here having this conversation right now? Do we know each other well enough to be mm-hmm. doing this? Is this comfortable? Are you comfortable? Am I comfortable? And all of a sudden your head starts spinning off. And yeah. for me, I think presence is like in that moment, just taking that spin off thought process and just grabbing that out and throwing that in the trash and just be like, I'm going to be here. Mm-hmm. And if I don't want to be here anymore, I'm also going to be comfortable enough to say, Hey, it's great to meet you. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to walk away. Yeah. That's wild. And even that's, I think kind of a, maybe a, a maybe I'm moving away from presence and into just sort of like being comfortable with myself and with other people. But yeah, <clears throat> I mean, it is, would you say that there's a, so, cause like, uh, you know, just, just right now, listening to you and I talk about our experience. Is there a time where it's more about just letting go and, and, uh, see, I can't even really say this cause I, I can't do that. Horror. <laughs> you know, I think of like, Why? Oh, okay. So more of like a, um, extreme example of this is just when you go to a party, you just let loose, you know? Mm-hmm. And usually that, that translates into drunkenness or, you know, cr- you know, some sort of craziness of some sort, right. you know? but I, I don't, and I don't mean it in that sense. Well, right. Without know? the drunkenness and craziness, I think it, it could, for for me, it can go very quickly into arrogance. Mm-hmm. Interesting. How so? Um, I, I, I don't know. Like, if I just sort of let loose and I stop sort of paying attention to myself and to the way that other people are and they're mm-hmm. engaging with me, um, I can speak quickly mm-hmm. to things. Um, man, I don't know if, I don't know if this is really true or just something I'm afraid of. Yeah. I'm afraid of being arrogant. I'm afraid of being judgmental mm-hmm. to people. Cause I've, I've seen that potential in myself. Yeah. I, I get it. I, I think I kind of, I'm following where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. Because you see this in me or because yeah. you understand it. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're such an asshole dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. There's like a mode my brain can get into where I'm just like, I don't know. I think we all have this conscious process. Mm-hmm or maybe unconscious process of like your brain goes, Oh, you should say that. And then Mm -hmm. you go, no, I'm not going to say that one. And then, you know, the brain keeps like giving suggestions Uh and you get to like sit in front of that and act as filter. And like, you know, you're writing this thing as you go and you Mm -hmm. get these different pitches from your brain for what the next thing, you know, and some of those things seem really exciting, enticing to say, (laughs) but you don't say them because you have social awareness. And I think, I think there's a mode that I could be in where it's like, Oh, I'm just going to go with the exciting one. Yeah. You know? like, uh-huh. <laughs> well, I think maybe, maybe what we're talking about is like, uh, we would, both, what are we talking about? <laughs> presence. <laughs> and uh, I love presence. Uh-huh. Well, I think you, you mentioned, and I was, uh, we were both talking about this was, uh, Elia and Ella. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. they just got into this space. Like that is like almost a kind of a loss, a, like losing yourself in the activity. Yeah. I think it was Brett Weinstein that said something like we develop language in order to articulate abstract ideas so that we can enter and share brain space with other people. Mm. I thought that was an awesome description of that. It's like you and I can talk to each other Mm -hmm. and we can, we can enter a a, a shared space together. Yeah. Um, How incredible is that? But yeah, I was like, and I saw Ellie and her friend and they had like locked into this shared space in Mm -hmm. a way that, maybe only children of a certain age do mm-hmm. like I think we experience it now, but it's somewhat different. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I rejoiced in that. I was like, that's, 
I felt I felt um, nostalgic for that. Well, there was something there was something really playful in there. Yeah. You know, it's like we're gonna play, and we we've we've it is it is Jean Pierre gets into this. He's a ch- children's psychologist guy. And he's quoted by tons of people. So it's more of like, I'm quoting Jean people. Piaget, yeah. children's psychologist guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm more quoting the people that quote him. I haven't really read a lot of his stuff. Um, but that talks about like, like children get together and they, they create these games and nobody really knows the rules. Yeah. But everybody knows the rules. And it's really funny because like he was, he uses marbles for one of them. And, uh, uh, you know, and different social groups have different rules around the marble playing and stuff. Mm. Um, but a lot of times they don't, they couldn't, they couldn't sit down like, so, okay, what are the rules? But there's this sort of like social understanding and how you engage and interact. And when someone breaks the rules, the pe- the the group is like sort of like you broke the rules and that person knows they broke the rule. Even if the rule wasn't explicitly stated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, they don't, no one knows the rules, but there's, but they all know the social contract that governs what the rules might be once they're discovered. Mm-hmm. It's like no one knows the rules until someone breaks one, and then everyone's like, "Oh yeah, that should be a rule." You know, it was yeah. a rule even though we didn't say it, mm-hmm. and everyone understands that. Yeah. yeah. So I think this. So you kind of like even with Ellie and Ella was just sort of like they had this game they're playing and developing these rules. And then even, uh, Ella's mom, Emily joined in with them too. Yeah. And it's like, you, you, and, and it wasn't like, like she came in and, and made up her own rules and then made them fall, but she entered into their headspace, into their game, but then also added another dynamic. Yeah. So I think that's fascinating as far as our interactions with people. I mean, you and I do this all the time and it's, it, I always find it fascinating when you and I are at a pub and we're way into it. And then somebody else enters and it's like, it's it, this is not said between you and I, but at the same time, I find us reorienting like, okay, how does this person fit into this conversation? You know, or do we, are we kind of abandon this and go into another space? Yeah. And I, I find I that like you and I both do that. That happens a lot. Mm-hmm. I think because you and I, we've gotten really good at going in <laughs> fast and deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then someone comes along, which happens fairly often, mm-hmm. probably because we hang out near yeah. your shop a lot and you know, everybody <laughs> over there, um, someone comes along and I have noticed recently that we do less shifting away from what we were talking mm-hmm. about yeah. and more like, here's what we're talking about. And mm-hmm. sometimes people are like, Oh, I want in. Mm-hmm. And other times people are like, huh? Okay. And then they sort of look around and meander <laughs> off, you know, <laughs> or they kind of tiptoe and they're not really yeah. sure what they, but I think it's cool to test people and invite people into that. And mm-hmm. sometimes when they're not interested, we do shift and we, yeah. and we talk about something else and, mm-hmm. and then, you know, try to bring, bring the ship back around where we were going. But, um, that's been cool. I've, I've noticed that happening as well. But it's weird though. It's like, we didn't make up our rules. We it, didn't, we've never talked about this uh, before. Yeah. No, but it's something that's very obvious to me, but it's also fascinating. I love it. Cause like whenever I start here, like we'll be talking about something and then like, say you're kind of inviting them into the conversation and all of a sudden you'll, 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 ta- you'll, you'll invite them in, in a way that we haven't actually been talking about. Hmm. And then, it, but it also, it also defines where we were, which was, so it's almost like by adding that other component, 
it actually opens the conversation more. Well, it's like you have the benefit of getting to recapitulate the mm-hmm. the place that you were, and by restating, you clarify almost by accident what wasn't necessarily clear before. Mm-hmm. That's a helpful thing, especially in the moment. Yeah, this is like one thing to be like. You know, hey, you know, you come home from the pub or whatever, and somebody's like, "What y'all talk about?" And you, and you, you know, (laughs) you try to tell them, but that's not so helpful. But when you're in the moment, and someone comes along and you say, "Here's what we're talking about," Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're like, "Oh yeah, that is what we were talking about," and it's almost rediscovery. Uh Yeah, that's interesting. Like almost defining and and putting some like some markers around it or something like that. But there is, I mean, there's something. I think. Like, uh, I would say Allison experiences this in dance as I do in conversation mm-hmm. you know, not that she doesn't also in conversation, but, um, I, I think I just experienced a lot more. Uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot more anyways. Um, but there's a sort of like presence that is created around that time in that space. And there's like this history and this narrative that you're also building. And, and so whenever someone comes in, you're trying to like also bring them some of that history, not just of mostly of the moment, but also of the past, you know, but you're trying to bring them up to speed in order to continue in some, in some place, you know, you're talking about in dance. Well, in da- well, I think that could also be in dance. I'm thinking of conversation in yeah, general, yeah. Um, which I, f- I find very fascinating. Like I think getting lost in, in a world of, but of ideas and concepts. Yeah. But it's fascinating too, because you also come back into, I've got to go to work. I've got to take care of my kids and feed them. And, you know, mm, right. And so it, it's also an interesting, like, like, and then it, it means something to be present with them, maybe a little bit different than it does. Is there a difference between abstract, like when we're talking thoughts and ideas, than the sort of more practical parts so practical parts of presence being presence at work or presence with your kids when they're doing their homework or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Or someone, one of your kids is having a tough time and, you know, instead of just being man, yeah, I'm tired. Why are you messing this up? Like, Oh, okay. I need to be here with this, with this kid right now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I would at least describe them differently. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think there's a presence I have with you when we're talking, there's a presence that I have in social situations, but I don't use the same tactics to be present when I'm at work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think to me being present at work is I'm going to, I'm going to give my attention to the things that need attention here. Mm -hmm. And that could be some amount of work at hand. It could be sitting in a meeting Mm -hmm. that doesn't seem all that important. And I've got other things that seem more important, but this is the meeting I'm in and Mm -hmm. I will sit and I will actively listen to who it is that is speaking Mm -hmm. and give feedback and ask questions. Mm -hmm. Even though my brain really wants to be somewhere else. Yeah. Like that's, that's a, that's sort of the presence I exercise at work. Hmm. And with the kids, I think, I I think that there's an element of, well, okay. So I I could describe presence with a certain amount of presence being freedom. Mm -hmm. So maybe freedom from past and 
and, and future, mm-hmm. um, being completely here with what's going on. Yeah. I don't find myself engaging in presence with my kids in that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's because there's a dynamic with my children where they don't need everything that I've got to say. Mm-hmm. They don't need everything that I know. Yeah. They don't need answers. Mm-hmm. They just need presence. Mm-hmm. They just need me to be there. Yeah. Not to engage with them in a free way, mm-hmm. but to engage with them in a wise way or, or a um, discerning way. Mm-hmm. What was that that we were saying earlier about um, when you bring something to a conversation, uh, but we brought our kids up in that, in that sense? Oh. oh, I can't, I just, I, it sounded like it was a very similar thing to what you were just I think talking I, about. I think I was kind of queuing off that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly. You were saying, don't remember. I know it was, it was something along those lines. Yeah. Um, well, it, uh, go back to your, the work thing. I'm, I'm interested in like the, when you say presence, um, so you're accountable, like you're being paid and you're accountable to bring a certain thing to the table. And so you're aware of that accountability. Like if you were just to sit in the meeting and not be present at all, Mm -hmm. then you wouldn't have a job kind of thing. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) They're like, where's Matt? Well, Matt's kind of checked out. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, and I've certainly been guilty of that at times. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh Like I have had people ask me a question in a meeting and I've said, I'm sorry, I was not paying attention. I could you please <laughs> re-ask your question? Or they're like, "Hey, Matt, what were we thinking about?" Well, I was thinking about presence. Yeah, <laughs> and all of a sudden the meeting just gets derailed. Right, into like, right. <laughs> that'd be awesome. You should try that next time. I mean, there's definitely an element of respect in it. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's it's about being respectful to mm-hmm. to the task at hand. Yeah, and that task at hand. I mean, part of that is. Yes, I'm accountable mm-hmm. for doing a certain job, and if I don't do that job, then I don't have the job. Yeah. Well, it seems like that's kind of like with our kids too. Like we have a certain we have a certain job, you know, yeah. to provide them with a certain space, with the amount of information or the amount of things that they need at that time. Like they don't need to be concerned about. Um, I don't know the war in Iraq or something like that. There's not yeah, even a war. Right. Yeah, the other is kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 so like, that's not what they're really dealing with is relationships at school. How do I fit in? I got schoolwork and to burden them with something that is not, not something, or even, you know, you see parents where their kids almost are the parents to the kid, mm. you know, and that's just, it's just not healthy. Like that's not, that's not the kid's responsibility to be the parent. Right. It's the, it's the parent yeah, for responsibility sure. of the parent, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, well, because when you're with a friend there's a, there's something that, which is helpful with it. It's like if a friend is struggling with something and they come to you mm-hmm. say, I'm really struggling with this. It could be a mm-hmm. relationship or it could be their job. It could be, you know, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but sometimes a helpful tactic with a friend is to be like, you know what? I'm really struggling with that too. Mm-hmm. Or here's something else that I'm actually struggling with this other thing. And, mm-hmm. and to take some focus off them is sometimes helpful. And like, 
go work on your problem for a second and then work on their problem for a second. And mm-hmm. like, that's not a good parenting tactic. Yeah. Like to make your, your kid, your friend mm-hmm. and to engage in sort of the trouble of solving life's problems from some sort of, we are equal in this level. Mm-hmm. I think that, I don't know why I hesitate to say this, but I think that's an abusive way to, to raise children. Yeah. It does. I think I'd like to kind of maybe suss that out a little bit more because, because I I do see it on a spectrum, you know? So, you know, as, as, as your children get older, the friend element becomes uh, a more part of your relationship with your children. Right. But, there's a wisdom and a discernment in how that relationship develops. Like you still need to be the, the accountable or the one who holds them accountable to certain things and not their friend, but their parent. Um, however, as they grow older, that, that responsibility begins to sort of relinquish and they're, they're no longer your, your, they're they kind of move more into like a friendship type of mm-hmm. space. Um, I mean, I, th- I see like with your yeah, with your kids with your with your parents with yeah. their kids. You know, yeah, yeah. it's like you do you do have that more friendship element. Yeah, it it has gotten that way. But I'm 37. You know, I have three kids of my own. I I wouldn't have described our relationship that way until probably the last five years. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's always been that way, but there's always, and still is an element of, they are my parents, they are my (laughs) elders, I I hold them in respect. And if Mm -hmm. my parents were ever to come to me and say, you know, to put me in my place in some way Mm -hmm. and say, you're doing this wrong, you need to stop, or you're not doing this and you need to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if they said, you're treating your children this way and you need to change that. Yeah. I would immediately heed their words Mm -hmm. i hope but would you say it's because they are more respectful i mean like so would it be the same as if i did that no i don't think it would be okay i mean it it wouldn't be that different necessarily i mean Mm -hmm. i would heed your words and take Mm -hmm. it seriously um but you and i are sort of you and i are contemporaries Mm mm-hmm I definitely would, there's an element of our relationship where I would be like, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Most likely not, <laughs> yeah. but there's that, there's that contingent mm-hmm. uh, or, or that, that piece of our relationship because we're contemporaries. Whereas my parents are my elders mm-hmm. and I think, so I hold them in a place of respect where if I, if you were to tell me to do something and I disagreed, mm-hmm. I, I might tell you that I disagree and not do it. Yeah if my parents told me to do something and I disagreed, I probably would tell them that I disagreed and then do it. <laughs> That's awesome. I think, well, or at least maybe I'm describing the way that I, I feel like the world should work. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Well, I think it's also, uh, you, you do have a unique situation in that, um, you do have a good relationship with your parents. Cause I could see it where you have a history of your parents for the most part, giving you good advice and knowing when to step in and when not to step in. Well, my dad famously does not give advice. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, and come to think of it, it's like I, my parents don't really tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. Like maybe to like may, sometimes I wish they would more. 
but but going back to how you engage in presence with your kids, I I th- I think I remembered what you were saying earlier, which is that you need to allow them to work things out. Hmm. And whereas with a friend, you might tell them what you think mm-hmm. they should do with your kids. You need to allow them to sort of discover that on their own. Mm-hmm. You need to guide them to that. But so, you know, my oldest was struggling with school recently and hating it because he's 13 and he's in eighth grade and mm-hmm. that's what you do. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh-huh. it sucks. Everyone hates it. Yeah. Um, and I think that the way I engaged him was a little bit too much like, here, let me solve this for you. Mm. And he didn't receive that well. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense. Cause how could he, he's mm-hmm. like in the thick of it. Yeah. You know, he doesn't, it's like, he can't receive that solution. Yeah. He can't there's no place to put it Mm -hmm. somehow. And I think what I should have done is just been with it in him. Yeah. Been with him in it and said, yeah, like this is the way it is. And I know the solution. I know the way out of it, Mm -hmm. at least one way, you know, because I got out of it. Mm -hmm. But it's not really super helpful. Yeah. I think it's more helpful to be like, yeah, it sucks. I'm here. Mm -hmm. And I will be here and I'm going to stay. Stay in here. Yeah. And, you know, help you however I can. And, you know, maybe start specifying how that help can be given mm-hmm. in small ways. Um, like a, a nudge, like, you know, um, you know, maybe, maybe let's reorganize your, the way you spend your time when you get home from school mm-hmm. and not do so, so prescriptively that it sets him up for failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds, yeah, that's, I think as you're going through, it's like, I can, I see that there's a difference between raising kids and friendship. Like that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I don't, I don't feel like uh, I'm, I'm clear on the distinction, but I think, th- I, I think it is just in that they are biologically yours in your responsibility. Hmm. Well, that's a good point. Like with, with you and I, it's like we have a history together. <laughs> Passa didn't hold you in my arms when you were a, th- a three month old <laughs> baby, you know, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. which is different. Well, I was whenever... just thinking there's like an, a different dynamic too, but yeah. with like an uncle, mm-hmm. you know, like mm. as an uncle, you get to be like a cool uncle yeah. and, and you get to just like, tell it like it is, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. in a way that as a dad, you don't really get to no. again, cause it, it wouldn't ever be received, <laughs> but with the cool uncle, it could be received. Yeah. You know, and there's a whole different dynamic with like a grandfather speaking to his grandchildren. Mm-hmm. There's like, he can speak in a, a weighty wise way mm-hmm. that can be received. Yeah. And I could say the same thing and it wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the work is in parenting. Like, oh yeah. You know, it's like, that's, <laughs> but the, but, but the, the, the the reward is, uh, <laughs> there's, there's more than just this, but the reward is almost in the grandkids. I mean, just evolutionarily mm. speaking, you know, right. obviously culturally, a lot of things are different today and how people perceive those things. But 
I mean, every culture, everywhere, in all times, up until probably right now, <laughs> viewed the world that way was sort of like, you know, you you had your progeny, progeny. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like in, and there was something that is that connects you generation to generation. You saw the world through your blood first, then through your community, and then through your larger and larger parts. You yeah. know. And I don't, I don't know if we, how, how we really, I mean, there's, I, th- I feel like also being in an urban city environment, it's, it, there's, you see, you see people orienting more around friend groups. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't think that's necessarily bad. It's, it's, it's just, it's just different than how it has been for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, you know? Yeah, yeah. And is that, is there you know, it's like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, that's, that's, that, that, that kind of, I kind of stopped there because there's, there's too many, there's too many things I, I can't grasp on that area. But, it, but I guess my main point is, is there is something as far as like blood, your kids responsibility, uh, for keeping them alive <laughs> and pointed in their direction, you know, where you need the community around you to fill the other other spaces like the grandparents, the elders to speak into your kids' lives or your friends or the uncle yeah, because they can speak into your kids' lives in a way that you can't, but also you can, you can speak into their lives in a way that no none of these can. other people can. So what is the thing that you think we've lost in our current age in that, in those hmm. dynamics? I mean, it, it seems easy enough to say that like, you know, the, the nuclear family um, is no longer a given. Mm-hmm a lot of families are divided mm-hmm. the parents are split up. And then also it seems like a large, a, 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 feels like a majority of people live in different cities than their parents. Yeah. That's true. So are those, are those, um, are those roles being replaced? I mean, I kind of go with the, <laughs> kind of like, I guess what Peterson kind of gets into this is like, we don't know. It's so, yeah, we're it's, so young it's early at this. It's been 60 years yeah. that we've have airplanes. I mean, obviously airplanes a little bit look before that, but in from the 1960s, seventies to the present technology, travel, communication. I mean, yeah, the way that men and women interact. I mean, it's just so much has changed. And they, so you really can't, it's almost like you can't say much about that period off map evolutionarily, Mm -hmm. at least in the social evolution. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. In the mimetic, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, we just don't, we don't have, because I, up to, up to this point, there was a lot of courting rituals, you know, that were embedded in culture and religion and how you, how you courted somebody, how you came into relationship, you know, um, uh, you know, the idea of, you know, your, your belongings being passed on to your children or the eldest or however the culture worked, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot, I think there was a lot of things that were embedded in culture that we don't have now for good and for bad. I mean, I think there's, there's, there's both sides of that, the negative and the positive. Yeah. Um, 
I do think it's interesting that you said that the sort of, the reward of parenting is grandchildren. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel that. Mm-hmm. Like, I really miss babies. Mm-hmm. I don't think I want to have any more babies. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. But like, when my kids start having babies, oh yeah, there for it. Mm-hmm. I'm, and maybe it's because I get to be there for it for as long as I want to be there yeah. for it. You know, it's like <laughs> totally. I want to be there for it, and then when my brain goes, I'm tired. I'm just like here you go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bed <laughs> Yeah, <clears throat> and get to enjoy that mm-hmm. in a way that you don't get to necessarily enjoy when you're raising, mm-hmm. raising them yourself. Well, I think there's, I, I really want to step out here. This like makes it sound like it's a really big deal, but kind of step out here and, and, and how, again, f- traditionally through the ages, like how children and babies change in in your growth as a human being too. Like, I think there's something that because that's so hard and there's so much that's involved in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, especially for, you know, through the ages, as far as like, you know, women experience that on a deep, deep level, you know, by through birth and then also just the baby physically needing them for sustenance. I mean, you don't experience that from anything else. Yeah. Like here's this helpless being again, I'm not without all our modern, you know, formulas and all that kind of stuff. Or, you know, I guess some of the rich people had wet nurses and stuff, but just more basic is like, here's this helpless being that is dependent on you for its sustenance. And that's for two years. I mean, that changes your, your, your psyche and the way that you look at the world. And then also how you perceive this being too. Like it, there's something that seems to, uh, in a, in, when, it, when you're, when, when it's in healthy relationship is that draws you into that and changes you in some form or fashion, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, even as a, as a, you know, as a man, not having to having the experience of giving birth, you know, there's a sort of awe of like, whoa, and sort of a helplessness too, because <laughs> like we don't have the the gear to really give this baby anything. The gear, <laughs> you know, yeah. Other than to not to their like supportive role, <laughs> yeah. Until like later on, you yeah. you do have like a a, a role in their life. That's, I think it's really important, but I'm just really focused on those first, like two years specifically. Yeah. So where are you going with that? I don't know. It's just beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I guess it, the thing is, is when we're talking about relationships and family and where we are today, um, and how we don't really, I don't think we really understand in our modern culture, really how, how all these things fit together. And, you know, do you feel like we used to, I don't think we had to think about it. It just was the way that it was. And there wasn't really another option. Yeah. You didn't have options. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing I'm not talking about like rich people. I'm talking about like 90% of everybody else. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, I, I think about this, um, you know, with my job now, with my life and my job now, I'm a, I'm a single dad half the time and I work a full-time job. And to me, 
it's really important that I take my kids to school and that I pick them up from school. Mm -hmm. And so for two to three days a week, that affects me. It affects whether or not I'm present at work because I'm, you know, a, a meeting could start at nine or let's say a meeting starts at eight. Well, I'm not going to be there at eight because mm-hmm. I'm dropping a kid off at school at eight. Um, and then I'm leaving at two thirty to pick them up at three. And it has no effect on my ability to get my job done. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I have a job that respects that and understands that yeah. is, is a, a real gift. Oh yeah. And I, I think it would be, you know, I, th- I think sometimes if I were to leave this job or lose this job and ha- have to find another job, I think it would be reasonable for an employer to say, you're expected to be here these hours, mm-hmm. eight to five and whatever your you know, personal life you need to do in your personal life to make that happen. We mm-hmm. expect you to do that. Yeah. I think that would be a reasonable request. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, for me, it would be a deal breaker. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't take the job unless mm-hmm. I absolutely had to. But I, I think, you know, in this day and age, it's like a lot of people live their life that way. Mm-hmm. So they either have, um, I guess most generally daycare centers. So mm-hmm. they'll go drop their kid off at a daycare center super early and then go to work. And then they're either at school and then an aftercare program. And um, the kids spend a lot of time passed around between different locations and institutions in order to be taken care of so that the yeah. parent can work mm-hmm. parent or parents. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, and, and that seems somehow expected and reasonable. Whereas the old conception was, you have kids, and one of the kids' parents mm-hmm. devotes their life to being there for the kids. Or the grandmother. Or the grandmother. Mm-hmm. Or grandfather, yeah. yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. We, and that's no longer reasonable. Mm-hmm. It's not reasonable for a woman to stay home. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's not true. I think, that, I think a lot of people do think that's reasonable. But there mm-hmm. is a voice in our culture mm-hmm. that says a woman shouldn't have to if she doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. And you know what? She doesn't have to if she doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. And then the grandparents aren't necessarily around. And, and so I don't know where I'm going with all of that, but it is different. Yeah. I think that's the point is it is different. You know, again, the structure of like, you know, the grandmother or the grandfather would be at home for the kids when they came home or, or whatever it might be. There's, there was right. some sort of more family unit and people traditionally lived, you know, in the same cities. Right. And it didn't have the mobility that we do today. And it was more of a, of a, of a rarity that someone would go somewhere else, you know, or to another city or to the big city or something like that, which is not as rare today, but we do have like, you know, FaceTime and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) So given, so given, so, okay. Given all that and the, and the new landscape that we're kind of in, Mm -hmm. let's, let's talk about what does it mean to be present? Yeah. With your family and your kids. Because yeah. we do have these really amazing communication avenues now that we didn't used to have. Yeah. I mean, FaceTime really is a fantastic way to connect with people. It, it, it is. And then uh, there's one thing, and it, it, maybe I'm old-fashioned in this, but it's never the same as a face-to-face meeting. No, definitely not. It's just, it just can never replace that, um, that aspect. So right. I think of even within families... Like I grew up, one thing that when I grew up that I felt was just really valuable, whether I liked it or not, was we always ate dinner together. Mm. No matter what was going on, we all sat down at the dinner table at the same time, you know, 
sometimes it's you know it's like like everybody sit down at the table we're gonna have a good time <laughs> and other times it's just sort of like a kid will mention something and we get to, off in a conversation that's just crazy you know? if you have to tell people that we're gonna have a good time you're probably not yeah, exactly yeah well i don't know i mean like yeah surely there's something lacking there's a difference between a facetime call and an in in-person meeting mm-hmm. but you could also say the same thing of other interactions if FaceTime didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what my brain thought was, you know, when, when a man and woman get divorced, uh, the, the presupposition is that the man will get to visit his children every other weekend mm-hmm. and dinner on Thursday nights. Yeah. That's kind of standard. It's not kind of standard. It's, it's standard. standard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's the position that you start from. Mm-hmm. And it, in, for me, my thought was, no, like I want to be there in the morning mm-hmm. when they wake up and have to go to school yeah. and be a part of that routine mm-hmm. because that's a part of life. That's a huge part of life where you learn a lot about who you are and what it takes to be a responsible, productive person. Yeah. I want to engage in that. I want to be there when you go to bed mm-hmm. on a school night. Like, I don't just want weekend mornings and nights. I want school mornings and nights. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between being in person with my kids on the weekends and being in person with my kids on school days. Yeah. It's a completely different dynamic. Mm-hmm. In the same way. How's it different? Just to. Um, well, it's, well, it's one thing to hang out. Mm-hmm. And it's another thing to be together when there is sort of the business of life to be contended with. Mm-hmm. So it's like. You know, if I'm with my kids on a Saturday night, it's like, hey, what do y'all want to do? Yeah, watch movie. Yeah, you watch a movie. Uh, yeah, what time? Ten thirty. Yeah, yeah cool. I 12? might push it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. everything's kind of negotiable. Mm-hmm. It's it, you're relaxing. Yeah. Um, whereas on school days, we don't do those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, we might, but there is a bedtime. Um, there are things that are important on school days, like homework or. Um, even the idea of like, we need to wind down tonight mm. so that tomorrow morning is good. Yeah. It's like, hey, we were all tired this morning because it's Monday and we sit up a little too late Sunday night, whatever. Mm-hmm. We're going to wind down tonight. So we're all turning our devices off. We're going to mm. read a book. Um, we went through a little period of time where we were watching this um, nature show on Netflix at the end mm. of the night instead of reading. Yeah. And that was really nice. That's cool, yeah. Um, but it's like... It, it's about the, it's not about the thing that you're doing necessarily in the time, but it's like we're preparing ourselves for something in the future. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a part of like the regular schedule and ritual of life that you need to do um, to become, I think, to become a, to gain the discipline that you need in order to do the things that you will end up wanting to do. Yeah. Um, and then getting up in the morning, you know, it's hard, but we're going to do it. We're going to get up. We're going to make sure we have a good breakfast. We're mm-hmm. going to make sure that we all get our lunches prepared. Cause I know you don't like eating school lunch. What do you, you know, we had to go to the store earlier. It's like, there's a lot of things that go into making the small things successful. Yeah. <clears throat> the small things like, were you pleased with the lunch you had at school today? Mm-hmm. Well, that took getting up at a certain hour and making lunch, but it also took foresight the previous day in order to go to the store to make sure we have the stuff um, 
and it's like being a part of that, the movement of the broader picture of the discipline of life. Mm-hmm. I engage my kids much differently in that space and it feels really important. Well, it's interesting. You almost like, again, just to generalize and probably be a little bit unfair, but, mm-hmm. uh, the, the one sounds like you have the potential to be the fun uncle right? instead <clears throat> of the, the dad, the father, uh, you know, as far as like in everyday life. Totally. I don't think that's unfair. Yeah. <clears throat> and also I want that perspective. Like mm-hmm. I want my kids to see the perspective. I don't want to just be the fun uncle, but I also want to have weekends where I get to yeah, be totally. the, the fun uh-huh. person. Yeah. But you need, you want to be the fun person as a parent, at least, mm-hmm. um, in the context of the other thing. Yeah. It's like, we get to let loose this weekend mm-hmm. and go to bed late because we didn't do that this week. Yeah. And you know that because mm-hmm. you were here. <clears throat> yeah. So there's different modes of, of um, engagement, even in person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while I think an in-person meeting is better than a FaceTime call in most scenarios, mm-hmm. I think FaceTime really has enabled intimacy and relationships that yeah. wasn't possible just on the phone totally. and the phone enabled mm-hmm. intimacy and relationships that wasn't possible through letters or something through like letters. Mm-hmm. And, and in each of those progressions, there's also a loss. Yeah. Totally. It's like, we don't write letters to any, to one another anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think we've lost some sort of like gushing elegance and poetry and, um, affection Mm -hmm. that you can all that only comes through like thinking about a person Mm. thinking what you want to say to them and you won't get it for two months sitting down yeah yeah, sitting down and taking the time to write it Mm -hmm. and mail it and knowing that it won't get you don't know when it's going to get there it's like what you're going to write it's not going to be super like time sensitive Mm -hmm. it's like i'm we lost something when we stopped doing that and we started mm-hmm. talking on the phone and everything was more immediate, but mm-hmm. we also gained something. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, maybe with FaceTime, we've lost something mm-hmm. the same, but we've also gained something that we didn't have before. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, just to go back to the letter writing thing, that just sounds so like, I do remember writing letters and because we're part of that generation where, you know, we know what it was to have the rotary phone and no, like, uh, <laughs> did you have one? Mm-hmm. I, I think we be, never had one at our house. Well, I think it's funny because like you and I are like not that far apart. Right. But even that, I think I experienced two or three years of things, you know, right. That I mean, cause it really is. That's how fast it changed. It was a turning point. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I remember getting a cordless phone for the yeah. first time before oh, that yeah. all phones were corded. I remember getting the phone with a long extension on it where you could walk into the other room, right. but it's like still connected. I remember being young and my mom talking on the phone while cooking dinner and simultaneously reprimanding us for, you know, being mm-hmm. little shits mm-hmm. and just like pulling that phone at the end of the cord, yeah. like it's stretched uh, all the way out. Totally. Uh, yeah. But I think there's, there's that we do, there's something lost and, something gained by each one of these, uh, advances. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, having that face to face is just so important. Uh, also it would make me think of, um, something about the kids. Um, Oh, the, uh, the part of, uh, the word suffering came to my mind, but it wasn't, it's not necessarily suffering, but it's like when you're in the trenches, 
uh, you know, you, you read these World War II stories and these relationships that are formed because they experience these hard things together. Right. It's like you don't get depth of relationship if you don't experience hard things together. Yeah. Like if it's just fun all the time, usually, again, I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but I would say most of the time that you don't have the, that depth of relationship, you know, as far as... I don't think you're wrong at all. Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to think if there's any exceptions, but I don't, I don't really, I can't think of any exceptions to that. Like you have to, you have to really experience hardship, frustration, conflict. Well, yeah, any I think, relationship to, to I think this, we've talked, I think we talked a couple episodes ago about adversity and mm. what that brings about in a person's character. Mm. I think it has the same effect in a relationship, maybe even more magnified. Yeah. Where it's even, I think with our kids is even, it, it again, magnified because you're walking through so many stages of life with them mm-hmm. and they're experiencing you in each one of those stages, your failures as well as your successes, you know? Um, but they're watching you fail and succeed. And so you're also modeling to them into the future mm-hmm. so that the more that you are able to walk or be present with people, with your kids and go through those failures and successes together. It's the more that, especially dealing with kids, like they see that modeled, you know, they can kind of project that into their future also. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I think that's one thing I, I, I will, I love with, uh, I would, I would love, like, there's probably two things I want my, kids to to really grab hold of is to read hmm. and to not be afraid to fail like I, i'm sure there's more than that but those two things really like come to my uh attention you know because business specifically you know that's why that's where i've learned the most you know is through failure hmm. and yeah, i feel like you were saying earlier before the podcast sort of which led to this statement about that we can't fully remember about kids, but like (laughs) uh, struggling with your own failure in Mm -hmm. how you engage, how you engage other people in expressing your own desires and expressing what you want from them or for them and failing to articulate that and worrying that that will affect the way that they Hmm. are and engage themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. And I think I said, I don't know what I said, but just what you just said about failure seems poignant to that. Like you, you want your children to fail, but you also need to model that for Mm -hmm. them. If you want them to be comfortable with failure, you're going to have to fail a lot. Yeah. And I think it's different between like kids and spouses and friends, you know, as far as, you know, with your kids, you know, there's, there's like kind of earlier in our conversation, how there's a certain healthiness as far as them understanding the struggles and the hardships that you face but then there's also a certain amount of protection you give to them, you know? Um, you know, uh, I think your spouse probably sees those a lot more, (laughs) right? (laughs) A lot more intimately. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) 
Hopefully. Uh, hopefully, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I think that's the hard thing is, yeah, yeah, kind of what you were hitting on earlier. I don't really have a, I don't have this figured out. And the only way I can have it figured out, um, I don't think I have as healthy of a relationship in this area. You know, it's like, um, like I want to protect people from experiencing suffering or pain. So if it's like, if it means that like I need to take on more in order to kind of provide that shelter, then I do that. However, there's a good thing and a bad thing about that. It's like sometimes not allowing, and I've, 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 there's certain parts of this I've, I've, I've learned better on, so I, I don't want to be too harsh on myself. <laughs> but like there's certain things, even with your kids, it's like allowing them to feel that, that hurt or that suffering you know, that you might be able to protect them from, but it's actually not beneficial or healthy or helpful for them into the future. Yeah, well, you, you have to allow some amount. I mean, we even mm-hmm. just said several minutes ago that suffering and adversity Mm -hmm. builds character, not only in a person, but in relationships. Yeah. So it's like you've, you, you, yeah, of course you want to protect from undue amounts of it, Mm -hmm. but you also have to allow it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just hard. I I don't, I don't know how to, sometimes I don't know how to navigate that. Well, maybe that's, the the invocation to failure like <laughs> like fail, I'd rather be just fail, good at it dude. Yeah. Like, <laughs> fail in navigating it yeah I mean like I navigated that wrong <laughs> I should have done it this way yeah no that's really true yeah I don't know how to articulate the the way that I just I just see this fine line and I see how I navigate on one side of the line more than I do right. on the other. Do you ever notice something about that, something about, like that about yourself mm-hmm. and think like, what would it be like oh. if I just flipped and just always aired to the other side just to get some perspective? <laughs> oh, that sounds horrible. Uh, we've, I probably said it on the, on the, on the uh, podcast, but it's, it's sort of like you have pride and you have false humility. You know, if you want to put those as a dichotomy, it's like, I err on the false humility side just because it's better. You see it's better. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's the same. It's the same thing. But like, it's it's to me. I, f- I find a justification in that, right? More than I can find the justification erring. In pride. On, yeah, in pride. And and and, and again, so what, so I, what I, would the, be the what I'm saying is completely wrong. What would be the like, statement to like justify the other side? Like justify pride over false humility for me. Justified pride over false. Oh, you're going to make me make the argument for the other side. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so, so Allison helps, helps me with this is sometimes I will not own that. I've done something really well. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, Michael, you're like really good at that. I'm like, well, you know, I have all this help and there's all these people. You get very uncomfortable when people point out things. <laughs> I know, you do even well. right now, I'm, uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm trying to make the other point. But, uh, but I, w- I will do it because I think it's, it's good to be able to talk from the other side of whatever viewpoint you're on. Um, it's, you know, 
See, I can't even do it. I'm like, I want to put a, I want to put like a disclaimer on everything I, I, I'm about to say. So I was trying to, I was trying to say it without a disclaimer, but yeah, say it without a disclaimer. I know I'm going to, <laughs> uh, well, like, like I know I'm a good father. I know I'm a good husband. Uh, I know I run my business really well. Oh God, that's a, <laughs> I know I'm trying. I felt it. Yeah. I, I, I felt yeah. it get locked in your throat as uh, I was coming out. I mean, I, it's like, it's like, I, oh, damn it. Yeah. See, anyway, so that's the other side. <laughs> well, but yeah, but you didn't, you didn't do it. I did it. You didn't do the, the yeah. other side. The other side mm-hmm. would be to say why being prideful is better than being falsely humble. Oh, okay. I thought I was, I was okay. I thought I was trying to like, cause that was the part like, like Allison, it's like being able to like really claim those parts that like, oh, wow. I'm really good at that. Well, I think that's potentially one of the negative things about false humility mm-hmm. is, totally. is that, well, one, it's false. It's mm-hmm. in the name. Yeah. And two, it, 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 it makes you adopt a perspective, a point of view or a place in your own life where for you to say those three things that you just said yeah. was difficult. Mm-hmm. And those three things are true mm-hmm. and they should be said. Yeah. So, the position of false humility is a silenced position in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Whereas the position of pride is a spoken position. Mm-hmm. It's an outward position. It yeah. says, I'm a good father. I'm a good husband. I'm mm-hmm. good at running my business. And I want you all to know it mm-hmm. because I place value in myself for that, yeah. which then gets into the, the negative part of pride, mm-hmm. which is, we don't understand over extolling like, your yeah, own. Yeah. All these yeah. other elements that go into helping you right. also achieve those things. Right. You know? Yeah, right. totally. Um, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's just, I think it just, I always end up like, I, I'm definitely aware of all the elements that go into it, but to be able to make a statement is really, I think healthy and helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's what I was going to say is, is I think that also has to do with presence too. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like presence is being in that space where, where pride and false humility, if we're going to use those dichotomy and we can probably use a lot of different ones also in the same thing. But I feel like really being present is, is having those things. You can hold both of those things together at mm-hmm. the same time, like understanding your value as a father, but also understanding that you've had these examples that you're also um, uh, thankful for or that you are, um, that have maybe sowed into your life that made you the father that you are or the business person you are or the husband that you are um, or that the business that you run and that you do a good job running in, but you also are supported by a staff of amazing people. Yeah. You know, it's like, but there's this, there's this place of being present where all those things are true, you know, and you can hold them in the one, that place. And they coexist. Mm-hmm. It's almost like going back to the one and the many, mm-hmm. you know, it's like that space of, you know, it's not the, it's not the, uh, how you said it really well, but not the, uh, you can't just add all these parts up to and make right. the whole. Right. It's actually a lot greater than that. It's not the sum of its parts. Well, it seems similar in a way to presence and time. And presence and time somehow reconciles hmm. the irreconcilable parts of the past and the irreconcilable parts of the future mm-hmm. into a moment. Hmm. And I'm present in this moment. Yeah. 
<clears throat> there's a presence in who you are that reconciles the false part of, of your humility oh, yeah. and the arrogant part of your pride mm-hmm. and allows all of those things to exist at once. We were, we were, uh, I, I think I've mentioned this before, but, uh, there's this, uh, adolescence book called the inheritance cycle. And, uh, uh, there's this, uh, there's this part where it's, it's about a dragon and riders and all this great stuff. It's fantastic. If you haven't read that, it doesn't matter how old you are. You need to read this book cause it's just so much fun. <laughs> so much fun. There's so many great, like when somebody can write uh, for adolescents or for young adults, but carry such so many amazing concepts that are way beyond, but do it for a young adult audience. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most genius of writing. It mm-hmm. really is. Uh, anyways, there's a moment where this character Aragon, he's having to figure out what to do with this guy. And is it the same character from Lord of the Rings? No, it's a okay. different, oh, it's Aragorn. I think oh. his name. Yeah. I, they're pronounced differently. I forget which one's which Aragon and Aragorn. Okay. Do you know which, which one's in? I don't remember. Yeah. Anyways, it's the other one. <laughs> it's the other one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's trying to figure out what to do with this old man. This old man is just a piece of shit. Like he can't, he can't let him go because if he lets him go, he's going to cause havoc, but he can't kill him because that just is not what this dragon rider is about. Just killing somebody for no reason, you know, but he can't, he just can't do it all. He can't, he, neither one of them are good options. And so he's sitting there thinking about this man and all of a sudden this name comes into his mind. And in the story, there's this idea of your true name, you know, Mm -hmm. and if someone speaks your true name, you have power over them. And so Aragon, this, this name comes in, it's not like, you know, Bill, it's like, it's something (laughs) a lot more. It was Aragon. Now it's Bill. So this other guy's, uh, uh, anyway, so he speaks this name and you see this terror go on this guy's face because in that name, he sees everything that he is. So, uh, you know, all the bad stuff that he's done, all the good stuff that he's done, him as a father, him as a, you know, it's like, but it's just sort of like, he's able to see that the essence of who he is and shit, that is terrifying. Yeah, it is. It, it's funny because it happens two or three times throughout the book and each character, uh, each character faces that moment differently. So that's also <clears throat> a fascinating thing. But anyways, long story short, he's because now he has authority over this, this guy, he sends him to the elves and with the, with the instructions that he gives to the elves is, is if he changes his name, you can let him go. So that was the thing. So changes he, his name to the name that was spoken to him. No, changes his name from the name that was spoken to him. Mm. So the idea is that when you change something in your essence, that name actually changes too. Hmm. So like, you know, if you're a murderer mm. and you, you're. So not changes his name as in I'm Bill now. Yeah. But change changes who he is. Yeah. Which is the idea of your true name is like, it's your, it's more about your essence. And so if he changes his essence or character or something like that, then he's, he's released from the, he's released from this power or whatever, you know? Wow. And so it just made me think, I I was trying to like comprehend, like, like of all the aspects, take the good and the bad of all that I am. And if you could just like, if someone were to speak that to me, like, like just, I don't know, that Mm -hmm. was, where was I going with that? 
presence. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, no, I guess the, the idea of presence is like, you know, of being able to sit with all that you are. I mean, again, we're mm-hmm. trying to, it, it's hard to take to, on your name, mm-hmm, to take on your name. And that's, that's means, you know, not, not being prideful and not being, having false humility, but being true in the space that, you know, understanding your authority and your accountability, you know, your failure, your failures, kind your of like talents, mm-hmm. like where you, where you almost like you're standing in the world too, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, like not being so, you know, prideful to think that you have authority all over certain areas that you don't, you know, it's like, I can't go walk into a McDonald's and be like, Hey everybody, this is how you should be doing. Like, what the hell are you doing? You don't have authority here. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know why I chose McDonald's, but I was thinking of in and out, but <laughs> McDonald's came out. That's funny. Um, so that, that's a, that's a fascinating um, aspect of presence. I don't know if that kind of, or it seems that has to do with presence too, is, is having a, a more and more, there's also another concept in there that's really fascinating, but I don't know if we're going to get, <laughs> well, it makes me think, and if you want to bring up the other concept, yeah. it, but I, it makes me think maybe there's an aspect of presence, presence, which is imparted on you. Hmm. Cause what is that? I mean, that idea of being named, that's a powerful thing. Yeah. I mean, even the name that we are given from our parents, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it's pretty well, um, documented that your name has power over the outcome of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I could think of a good example, but I know I read some article or heard something about that, that like what you were named does have power mm-hmm. over what you end up doing and, and what mm. you are like. Yeah. Um, are you talking about named like, uh, alphabetically or named as in what people believe about you? Alphabetically? Like, like Matt, M-A-T-T. Oh, <laughs> or as more opposed like, to M-A-T? As opposed to what somebody believes about you or no, believes like the, for the, you. The, the name you were given oh, actually has effect on what you end up doing with your life. Oh, that's fascinating. And I don't have any examples to give for that. Yeah. But, um, <clears throat> but this idea that you might have some other name that when you hear it, it defines you so completely that mm-hmm. it reveals you and also edifies you. Mm-hmm. That's, man, I wish I would like to experience that. Yeah. Um, and I, so I think what I was saying is, is there is there an aspect of presence which is imparted to you, mm-hmm. is given to you, is named in you? Mm-hmm. And I think surely that must be the case. Yeah, at least in in some aspect. I mean, I think I've experienced. Oh, I think my mom is a great example of this. She is really good at noticing what people like and uh-huh. pointing it out. And I've had this experience a lot in my life where she said, she's sort of done that. She's named something in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, you like this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa. And I don't know if I would have realized that on whoa. my own. But you're right. That mm-hmm. seems really true. Maybe I should think about that. Maybe I should look at that. Um, and in that is a sort of awareness, a sort of presence that is imparted to me that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Hmm. And I think it's the same with, um, you know, the, the, as we've said so far, like there's a presence that you can have when you're, when you're alone, when you're 
I think mindful is the current word. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a sort of presence in relationship and that presence in relationship is, is definitely contingent on how the person you're relating to engages. Mm-hmm. Well, it's almost like you, you reflect, you reflect back, you know, it's like when you're in a relationship, you're trying something out and then somebody reflects that back to you and you're able to see more clearly what it is that you're speaking or what it is that you're, uh, what it is that you're, uh, what do you call it? I get the word just escaped me what it is that you're kind of putting out into the world. And then when it's reflected back to you, I feel like there, there's an awareness that that can help you if you're in a relationship with somebody who actually cares about you, you know, like if you're not, if you're in a relationship with someone that you care about, you actually pay attention to what is reflected back to you, you know? So if, you know, whenever we're talking about stuff, like just all sorts of different subjects and you say, I don't get that. And I'm like, what it's reflected back mm-hmm. to me is that, oh, I didn't explain that correctly or something's, something's off with what I'm thinking, you know? And then I try again. And then you're like, well, is it more like this? I'm like, well, okay, similar. So like we continue to reflect back and forth this, these ideas. And, uh, well, and in the presence aspect, I think when I say mm-hmm. one of us says to the other, I, I didn't quite get that. Mm-hmm. It's a signal to say, I'm present, I'm here. Yeah. And I wasn't following. We mm-hmm. were sharing the same brain space and then it sort of it, it, it diverged. Mm-hmm. Help bring it back. Yeah. Like I'm interested in bringing it back. Yeah. Help me understand right. where you're coming from. I think our kids do that in a way that is infuriating. <laughs> you know? How so? Well, it's just that, you know, you're, you are like heavily invested in these beings and, and sometimes they reflect these things back to you. And you're like, no, that's not what I was talking about, <laughs> you know? But then in that, and then, and then because that, they show you yourself. Yeah. And then yeah. all of a sudden you see how you react to that, like to their reaction to you. And then you're like, oh, like, oh my gosh, where did that come from? Right. Like, why, why did, why did I get like Austin doing math the other night? Dude. I was so frustrated. I was watching myself being frustrated. I was like, mm-hmm. Michael, what are you doing? You know, it's like, it, it's so it's, but it's, but it, again, it's like, that's something in me, you know, like I, you know, wasn't showing patience, you know, uh, I was, you know, possibly again, I, I don't, I don't, and this, I'm just now thinking about this right now. So, uh, you know, maybe I was coming at it in a certain way that he was just not getting, and I just kept forcing it, you know, rather than being like, okay, he's not, that's not helping. Now let right. me come at it from a different direction. And which uh, I think is what I was saying earlier about mm-hmm. my experience with my oldest. Yeah. It's like, Oh, true. That's like a lack of presence, mm-hmm. not being aware that the tactic you're taking yeah, is, totally. isn't helping. Yeah. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh yeah. It's like, but I think that's cool. It's like you, you see how one dimensional or unidimensional you are and that you need more tools. And in order to deepen that relationship or to be more present with, you know, your child or whatever, it's like you, you have to find new ways, new tools, um, new perspectives to, 
more engaged and because I think it's more the parent's job is is to find that space. It's not your kid's job to do that for you. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, I think there is a there's a certain amount that a certain amount of responsibility that they have, but not like at a young age, it's almost zero and they, they have more responsibility as they get older and older, but it's usually on the onus of the parents, you know, not yeah. on the kid for that relationship. Or would you, do you think so? Onus on the parent rather than the kid. Yeah, yeah I, I think so. I, th- I do. To course correct or to, yeah. you know, to be more aware and present. Well, and, and I think that's that's the difference between a friend relationship and a child-parent relationship. Mm-hmm. And why I maybe said earlier that there's, you know, there is a way to engage with your kids that places that onus equally on each party, mm-hmm. which I think is detrimental to a child's developmental process, mm-hmm. which is why I think I used the word abusive earlier. Yeah. Because it, it deprives them mm-hmm. of something. Yeah. And I think that we have to have the onus as parents. Hmm. Maybe I'll take, I'll, I'll make it about like, you know, kids play together. There's no rules, mm-hmm. but they know there's rules mm-hmm. and they know them when they see them. Yeah. It's like, with my kids, there are rules. Mm-hmm. I set boundaries. I, I, I ha- or at least I have the responsibility to set boundaries. I have the mm-hmm. responsibility to define what the stage of life is. Yeah. As long as you are here in my household, these are the way things will be. Mm-hmm. And that's not the way that I treat you. Mm-hmm. You know, we have our first Friday get together here mm-hmm. once a month. I don't tell people the way to behave in my house. You know, it's like, it's like, but if I discover a rule that they've broken, you yeah. know, that might oh, interesting. disinvite yeah. them. Yeah. It hasn't happened so far, but so we get to be children. all socialized people. So yeah. it doesn't happen. But uh-huh. with, with children, mm-hmm. it's like, no, they need, they need to understand what, what we do and how we do it. Mm-hmm. And the onus is, I think on me to make sure that they do understand that. And if they don't, that's not their fault. It's my fault. Yeah. That's fascinating. It, it, I mean, it's, it, I don't make the jump as far correlation to children and business, but, um, like there's a certain responsibility of a business to define boundaries and accountability and responsibility and, you know, how you report and that kind of stuff. So that, you know, it's like, but once you understand the dynamics, then there's a lot of freedom within that yeah, space, you right. know? Um, I mean, obviously it's different from, there's a, there's a, there's a little bit of difference between like you know, your children and stuff like that. Um, because you're talking about responsible adults, you know, but, um, but you do sort of lay out the, the ground rules, you know, for how we're going to function in this space, you know, like if someone's going to start, you know, selling, uh, uh, hot dogs at Medici. It's like, well, that's not really, <laughs> that's not really in the bounds of what we, we didn't know. We needed a rule. Yeah. A no hot dog rule, but apparently we do. Apparently we do. Jason. Yeah, it's, it's always Jason. Do you have any hot dogs? Do you have any employees named Jason? No, I don't. Okay, that's perfect. Was safe. <laughs> yeah. Watch us hire a Jason tomorrow when he starts selling hot dogs at Medici. Rule Wait, number one, no hot dogs. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you have like a block party and you have a cookout and sell hot dogs. Yeah. But you said, but you said no hot dogs. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I don't know how we took the conversation all the way from presents to hot dogs, but yeah. 
<laughs> you just gave me it's this just the way this it goes. eyebrow yeah. raise like uh-huh. that's we what did we that. do. We did that. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> Presents and hot dogs. I will have to say I'm kind of curious too. Um whether or not we used presents too broadly. Hmm. Do you think we, we stayed fairly? Um, the reason I said that was, I remember in our conversation with, uh, with Zargoon and when I brought up the word religion and I was using it in a very broad sense. And then he was one who kind of used it in a very more specific sense. Like I was thinking more of an adaptation, right. Evolution kind of thing. And, and so, but that has got me thinking about as far as like defining our terms and, and being more specific in, in how we define our terms, you know? Well, I think that goes to context. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've got to, you have to define something within a certain context. Mm-hmm. And I think we've done a decent enough job yeah. in, in this conversation okay. of, of, of exploring a couple different contexts mm-hmm. for presence yeah. and talking about what they might mean because... I do think it's different in different contexts. Yeah. No, so no, I don't think it's been too broad. Okay, good. I just want to make sure I, I, I found myself being a lot more aware of like how I, I want, or I actually do want to be more aware of how, but I do feel like uh, now that I'm glad you said it that way, because I feel like we're, we're, we're trying to look at this thing presence and we're kind of dancing around yeah. you know, and, and looking at it from different perspectives from kids to work to, uh, relationships, uh, with like between friends and then spouses and, uh, intimates. And, um, it does, it does seem to look differently, but there's some essence that seems to kind of, kind of, uh, kind of a thread that kind of moves throughout. Mm -hmm. And I would say one thread that moves throughout as far as being present is having an accurate, an accurate understanding of the time and the moment. And the reason why I say that is like right now for you and I to just start talking about Trump, it's like, well, that's not, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's, that's not really like, that's not really a time or the place for that conversation, you mm-hmm. know, or for us to start to go off in another space, it's like, it's like the, somehow that kind of takes us out of the presence of the, that, that moment or right. space I might not be, might not have done that. Right. But no, I think that's true. I guess the more is the context of like, you know, I'm thinking of like from our kids being present with them and not and understanding where they are and who they are and what they need at that time, you know, and whenever you and I are together, there's a certain space and headspace that we kind of go into, um, that is very, it's very time and space specific, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, you've been going through certain things this week. I've been going through things this week. That's kind of the space we're going to go into. And so, and we both want to go into that space. We're going to both be present in that space, you know? Um, but if you're wanting to talk about, something over here and I'm wanting to talk about something over on the other side. It's like, we really can't be present with each other because we're in two different spaces. So there's something about, Hmm. we somehow need to find somehow to, uh, to occupy that same space, you know, or, uh, or even one to acquiesce to the other and say, okay, Hey, I'm going to go into that space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that, that, 
that brings me to what I think the common thread between all of these different contexts of presence is, Mm -hmm. which is holding multiple incongruent things safely and comfortably at the Mm -hmm. same time. Mm -hmm. So that could be, that could be the past and, and the, 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 what, has been and what might have been. It could be, mm-hmm. it, as well as the future, what could be mm-hmm. and what I want to be. Mm-hmm. Or it could be um, the the false humility versus pride thing. Mm-hmm. It, it It's holding these things that don't quite want to go together mm-hmm. at the same time in a way that's comfortable. I want to use the word resolve, but there's, it's not, it's, it's comfortable being comfortable with the lack of resolve and open saying hands makes me, it makes me think you're like open hands. Yeah. It's like I was even not, just doing that motion. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you're doing it, man. With your hands. <laughs> yeah. No, like that. It's like, you're kind of, you're kind of keeping them very yeah. lightly, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think that's something broadly culturally we're not really good at right now mm. yeah like what what makes you <clears throat> what kind of brings that to mind um well i'll try i'll try to tell a quick story about that it um it was a, a maybe a year ago i heard this really excellent podcast dealing with the recent documentary that came out about michael jackson mm. um and it was a really fantastic podcast primarily because it set up the problem with Michael Jackson, Mm -hmm. which is that Michael Jackson is accused of doing some really messed up stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of people in our culture that have are accused of doing some really messed up stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I, I think that social media in general has allowed us to call people out for doing really messed up stuff. So we mm-hmm. hear a lot more of it. And for most people, let's we'll deal with celebrities for the second. Yeah. For most celebrities, it's pretty easy to just be like, well, you did some messed up stuff. Well, you're done. Like we'll cancel you. And that's easy. Yeah. And you know, two seconds later we forgot because mm-hmm. that person's gone. Yeah. But you can't really do that with Michael Jackson mm. because Michael Jackson had permeated our culture in a way that's almost indescribable. Yeah. His influence is all over pop music. Mm-hmm. His influence is all over fashion. His influence is all over dance. Mm-hmm. You cannot cancel Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? Like we can't use the same tactics we used with other people. And so the, the guy that was talking about this sort of ended up the podcast basically saying, I think we need to figure out how to hold the good with the bad. Mm -hmm. We need to be able to say that was messed up Mm -hmm. and we're really uncomfortable with it. It was horrible. Yeah. But also, yeah. And to be able to exist in that really conflictual, strenuous place mm-hmm. and figure out how to live there Ooh. with a presence Yeah, that it doesn't resolve the conflict, mm-hmm. but it holds both of them at the same time. 
That's so good. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because like the in the part that I'm looking at with T.S. Eliot right now, it's the part I don't have yet, but he he, he names that also. Mm. Like it's something about how uh, the ex. It's like being in the ecstasy of life, but then also having that the reconciliation of the horror of life. Mm. And so there's this part that's amazing and beautiful and like, oh, you know, and then there's just also the part that's just blood killing guts, you know, it's like, and there's, it's like, how do you, how do you reconcile these different aspects of our experience? Well, however you do it, Mm -hmm. it seems pretty clear you can't have one without the other. Yeah. You can't understand one without the other. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I think yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I was just saying. I mean, because I I, I kind of derailed this a little bit from them. I think that Michael, the Michael Jackson example is really good because it's like you do need to be able to hold hold these things, and it not it's not necessarily that one cancels the other, but they're just they're just I don't know if the right word is different. Ah, that's not really the word. But there's a tension. I think. I think, and the tension's okay. We need to be okay with that tension, and I think that's hard to to be in that space of that tension. To be able to call this horrific and this amazing. Yeah. You know, a lot of things that Michael Jackson did were amazing. I mean, I mean, I remember as a kid watching. I'm bad. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> you know, yeah. that was so amazing. You know, I remember like I bought the jacket with all the zippers on it, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I, there were just so many things that were just amazing about him as a, as a child growing up, yeah. you know? Um, but then later in life, you know, as I got older and then kind of learned about the other parts too, it's like, it's like, well, does it cancel? Like how he impacted me as a young adult, you know, or a young child, you know, like, yeah. And it's not, it's not so easy yeah, it's to not come simple. to come to a conclusion mm-hmm. on that. And I think, I think we've got to hold those two things that are incongruent together mm-hmm. Yeah, and say, yeah, it's both of those things. Yeah. That's fascinating. But it makes it, makes me understand like even with kids too, it's, you know, as far as, you know, being legitimately frustrated with your kids. And it's like, no, you are legitimate and mm. it's, it is legitimate to be frustrated right now, yeah. <laughs> you know? And at the same time, you know, you need to kind of lay off, you know, yeah. or, 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 you know, actually, no, you're, you need to kind of like tighten the screws here yeah, uh, or whatever it might be. But yeah, being okay with tension, I guess that's kind of where the, I don't know, I might be stretching too far as far as presence goes. I kind of like, that's where the tension is and it's almost a tensionless tension. <laughs> a tensionless tension. I was uh, I was trying to channel my inner T.S. Eliot. You know, <laughs> getting poetic. Flesh and fleshless. From nor towards. <laughs> Can we end the podcast with you reciting T.S. Eliot? Oh, dude. I could try some. Yeah. All right. Oh, man. Uh, I'm trying to think if I want to do the the newest stuff or do do time present time past. Okay, even that might be a little. I've been I've been trying so hard on this next section. So, but I'll, I'll try the uh, I'll try the the uh, um, the newest part or the oldest part. 
Um, all right. So this is T.S. Eliot, four quartets. Uh, there's four poems. The first one's Burnt Norton and there's five sections to it. And this is the first section. So, uh, also I just want to give you a little bit of preference. So, so it gives you a little bit more to get into it. Uh, it talks a lot about time, um, present, past, uh, future. And, uh, this first part, there's a lot of talk about what might have been. So when you hear the echoes and, uh, some of that kind of language uh he's really talking about what might have been and how we kind of get into that space so anyways love that <laughs> all right so uh time present and time past are both perhaps present and time future and time future contained in time past if all if all time uh, if all time oh shoot <laughs> if all time Oh, if all time is eternal. Oh, shoot. Maybe I can't do it. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> oh, man. You put me on the spot, but I, 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 this is actually something I really want to be able to do. So um, I think we should hear it. You want to pull it up and read it? It's on my phone. It's <laughs> <laughs> I have no things to do from. Um, you think, do I have anything? Oh, yeah. Cool. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I was, I've been trying to like memorize uh, this poetry because uh, TSL has been so amazing as far as his. It's always baffled me. So I thought if maybe I, uh, um, maybe if I uh, memorized it, that I could, uh, um, it would, I would understand it a little bit better. But all right, so here it goes. Just uh, I'm gonna have to read a little bit of it, but I'll try to also. All right. So time present and time past are both perhaps present in time future, in time future contained in time past. If all time is eternally present, all time is unredeemable. What might have been is an abstraction, remaining a perpetual possibility, only in a world of speculation. What might have been and what has been point to one end, which is always present. Footfalls echo in the memory, down the passage which we did not take, towards the door we did not open. Into the rose garden my words echo thus in your mind. But to what purpose? Disturbing the dust on a bowl of rose leaves I do not know. Other echoes inhabit the garden. Shall we follow? Quick, said the bird. Find them, find them, round the corner, through the first gate, into our first world. Shall we follow the deception of the thrush into our first world? There they were, dignified, invisible, moving without pressure over the dead leaves in the autumn heat through the vibrant air, and the bird called in response to the unheard music hidden in the shrubbery, and the unseen eye beam, eye beam crossed, for the roses had the look of flowers that are looked at. There they were as our guests, accepted and accepting. So he moved, and they, in formal pattern, along the empty alley into the box circle to look down into the drained pool, dry the pool, dry concrete, brown edged, and the pool was filled with water out of sunlight and the lotus rose quietly, quietly. The surface glittered out of heart of light and they were behind us reflected in the pool. Then a cloud passed and the pool was empty. 
Go, said the bird, for the leaves are full of children, hidden excitedly, containing laughter. Go, go, said the bird. Humankind cannot bear my very much reality. Time past and time future. What might have been and what has been point to one end, which is always present. That's the first part. It's beautiful. <laughs> Thanks for your patience on that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Thanks for reading that. Yeah. Uh, I really want to be able to say it. One of these days, I'll give you the... It's, it really sounds differently. It was interesting. I read this at our first Friday, and I kind of fumbled through it, but I practiced it a little bit more. And uh, it was interesting because I read the second part, and everyone was like, oh, wow. It was, it, we really liked it better when you, when you spoke it through memory yeah. than reading. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately, and I thought that was... I think that's really fascinating. The difference between memorization versus like spoken. I mean, same thing with music. When you sing something, um, or pl- or play a song from mm-hmm. memory rather than from the sheet music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you engage with it differently, and people notice that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Uh, till next time. This has been the shores of ignorance. I think yeah. we got there. I think we did. Yeah. I think we spent quite a bit of time there. I think I'm still there. I'm, I've still got so many things. <laughs> <laughs> so Matt, I'm going to continue this podcast after this. <laughs> all right. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye. Love you all. Bye. Sorry, sorry.